Mark, thank you so much uh, for giving us the update on Crosspoint, for encouraging us, for praying for us. We are we're so grateful for the model that Crosspoint has been uh, in, in sending out um, and continuing to pray for us, continuing to support us financially, and continuing to send teams. We are, we are beyond blessed as a church. Uh, we are grateful for future partnership. We want to we want to join Link Arms and plant more churches together. Right? That's, that's our desire. Uh, we, we want to see a multiplication of disciples, leaders, and churches for King Jesus. That is our hope. That's our desire. That's our longing. We are crying out to God that he would do that work, not just in Charlotte, but across the Carolinas, across the U.S., and really across the globe. We want to see missionaries raised up, pastors, church planters, uh, church revitalizers raised up, so that we'll continue to see the gospel go forth and God's kingdom expanded. So we're grateful for y'all coming and serving with us, joining us this morning. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so grateful. Uh, last week, we began a two-part series on specifically Ephesians 5, to 33. We've been working through the book of Ephesians for the last two semesters. Uh, this series in Ephesians will be coming to a close at the end of November. So we have Counting today, four more weeks. Here next week, we will be turning our attention to children and parents. Caleb's dad, Randy, is going to come and serve our church through preaching. He is an elder in Columbia uh, at Riverbend Community Church. So, so excited to have him here next week with us. And then we're also going to do a little panel session after he preaches with uh, Randy and his, and his wife, and we might even get Caleb up here, kind of getting a parent's perspective, a children's perspective. I just dropped that on him right there. You heard him laugh. So he's probably thinking, I haven't got anything to add. And I would say, bro, you got a lot to add. So we'll see what happens there uh, next week. And then Heath will be uh, looking at the next passage with bond servants and masters. And then we'll wrap up after Thanksgiving on the armor of God and, and really Paul's final greetings to this church in Ephesus and around Asia Minor. So excited about the next four weeks. As you know, last week we started in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, and we took our, we really took our, um, our sermon series from Ephesians 5, verse 18, where we're called to not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And from there, Paul links filled with the Spirit to how this is going to look in our lives, through addressing one another in psalms and hymns, in spiritual songs, to giving thanks to the Lord, to singing to the Lord, to submitting to one another, and mutual submission. And then also, now he is going to bridge in, and he's talking through what it means to be spirit-filled wives, spirit-filled husbands, having spirit-filled marriages, spirit-filled parents, spirit-filled children, spirit-filled masters, spirit-filled servants. So that's where we are right now. So our idea, our big idea from last week, it's going to carry on into this week, is spirit-filled marriages reflect Christ and the church to the watching world. That's what we, that's what we desire. We desire to have spirit-filled marriages that reflect Christ and the church to the watching world. Our marriages should be missional. Our marriages should be displaying the gospel of Jesus Christ so that more and more people will be asking questions. So more and more people will be made into disciples, followers of Christ. 
I want to read this passage again for us, and then I'm going to pray, and then we will we'll do a little recap from last week, and then we'll specifically address husbands this morning. So let's read this passage, starting in verse 22, chapter 5 of Ephesians. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his, is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as, as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise for this day. We thank you for your goodness towards us in Christ. Father, we again give you praise for the picture of Jesus in this passage. Lord, he is our Savior. He is the one that laid his life down for us. He's the one that cleanses us, sanctifies us. Father, we want to imitate Christ in everything we do, in our words, in our deeds, in our thoughts. As we continue to look at this passage today, we pray for your spirit to fill us, that your spirit would guide and lead, and ultimately our lives through the spirit would bring glory to Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. So last week, to lay the foundation for marriage, we... We looked at the illustration, the analogy that Paul brings out in 22 to 33. In verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound, and I, I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So last week, we, we spent the majority of our time looking really at the beauty of Jesus and the splendor of the bride, right? The beauty of Jesus, we saw that Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one in charge. He's the one giving leadership. He's the one who nourishes and supplies all of our needs. He's the head. He's also the Savior. We saw that in verse 23. He is the Savior. It says, and he is himself its Savior. And then in verse 25, we're reminded that he gave himself up for us. That's what Jesus has done. That's how he is our Savior. He is, he's given his life for us on the cross. Jesus took our sin. He took our death. Those, that punishment that we deserve, the wages of sin is death. Jesus took that, and through his death on the cross, he's brought life to sinners. He is, he is our Savior. Verse 25, we looked at that, and we saw that Jesus is the lover. He's the one who loves us. He loved the church, and we see his great love in him laying down his life for us. We also see in 26 and 27 that Jesus is the sanctifier. That he might sanctify her, the church, cleanses her. He washes her with water, the water of the word. He presents the church in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the beauty of Christ displayed in this passage. 
Yes, many times as we, as we re- recounted last week, this is a marriage passage. This is read at marriages, at weddings. Yet, we cannot miss Jesus here. The beauty of Jesus is on display. We see his great love for us in this passage. And then also we looked last week at the splendor of the bride. The splendor of the bride. Paul, Paul paints us two pictures here. Christ's body, the church, and Christ's bride, the church. His body, which he's already, he's, we've already looked at in Ephesians 4, right? The church is the body of Christ with Jesus as the head who supplies all the needs that we have. But he's also the bride, or the church is also the bride of Christ. And in, in this picture of the bride, we, we transitioned over to zoom in on the wife and how she joyfully submits in this analogy, in this illustration, Christ and the church, Christ and his bride, husband and wife. Last week we looked at the wives joyfully submitting to their husbands. And we looked at three, really three ideas of, of this joyful submission. The role of the wife, the role is joyfully submitting. We looked at the attitude is respect. And then we looked at the analogy and we we kind of contrasted and, and saw the similarities of the church with the wife. And this week, we're going to do the same thing. We're going we're, we're to look at husbands. We want to be spirit-filled husbands. So even this week, we're going to look at the role of the husband, the attitude of the husband, and the analogy of the husband. And like I said last week, this isn't original to me. This is, this is uh, Boyce, a 1900s pastor, preacher, I got this role, attitude, and analogy from him. Uh, But first, we want to look at the role of spirit-filled husbands. And the role, as we see in 22 to 24, is servant leadership. Is servant leadership. This is the role, husbands. This is the role, single men. This is what we're called to in marriage, to be servant leaders. John Piper defines this servant leadership, this headship, as the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Submission in our culture is a bad word. It's a curse word. People don't like this idea. They don't like this idea of submission, of, of someone submitting to someone, especially of a wife submitting to a husband. It's a bad word. We, we don't need to talk about it. It's misunderstood. Submission and headship is misunderstood. It's misunderstood within the church, and it's misunderstood in our world. There's a view in some of our churches. Hopefully this isn't the view in our Southern Baptist churches uh, because we, we believe in the roles and responsibilities. We're complementary, and we believe that Husband and wife were, were created to complement one another. But there is a view that argues that submission and roles within marriage came after Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve sinned, they believe that that's when the roles and responsibilities within marriage came. They argue that in Genesis 3.16, that woman was cursed to be ruled over. And then, in the new covenant in Christ, there's no distinction between male and female, 
applying that to husbands and wives. We see this in Galatians that Paul does argue that there's no distinction. But he's talking about salvation. He's talking about the gift of the gospel. There's no distinction between male and female, Jew and Gentile. Right? That's not what we see in the scriptures. The historical view of the church. And I would add, the historical view coming from Jesus and Paul. Right? Is that at creation, when God created male and female... The order was determined. Jesus argues for it. Paul argues for it. God made man. If we go to Genesis 1, we see that God makes man. And then in Genesis 2, we see that there's a need for a helper. There was no one found that could help the man. And God takes from the rib of man and he creates woman. He needed a helper. That is a great place for all husbands in here to say amen. Right? We need helpers. We understand this. The roles and responsibilities at creation that were given by God in Genesis 1 and 2 have been distorted by sin. They've been distorted. Where now there's a constant struggle. If you're married, you'll understand this. If you're not married, you still understand this. You see this in, in marriages. You see this in your own life. There's a constant struggle and conflict going on between husband and wife because of sin. We're sinners. But in Christ, in Christ, we have, husband and wives, we have the ability to live out this original creation order because we've been, we've been given a new heart and the Spirit of God. This is Spirit-filled living. This is what Paul is calling for in Ephesians 5.18, and that's what he's instructing us in in Ephesians 5.22-33. Spirit-filled living. There's also a misunderstanding of submission and headship in the world. They see, and really it's because it's come out of the church, a misunderstanding in the church, that submission is subjection. Right? You are the subject. You, you, you subject yourself underneath someone. They see subjection as making the wife a doormat and one who receives abuse. That's how the world perceives submission. Submission in the world's eyes isn't beautiful, it's degrading. It's degrading to women. I would argue from this passage that this is the opposite of what we see in this passage. We see, with this analogy of Christ and the church, we see the church submitting to the headship of Christ, and in that submission, she will be presented to him in splendor. She's cherished and nourished. And the same is true for wives as they submit to their husbands. This is a joyful submission. You see, as, as husbands lead out of a servant's heart, and as wives joyfully submit to their husbands, this is a, an aligning. This is us aligning our lives with God's created order. And that will bring great joy to our lives. A couple of questions that came as I was just thinking about the misunderstanding within the church and the world is do you think the world, like do you think the world has a bad taste of submission within marriage because many of our marriages do not point to the beauty of the created order, right? Many times we're, we're living in conflict, we're misusing uh, these, these roles, we're, we're not aligning ourselves with a, in being obedient to these roles and responsibilities within marriage. 
And I think it, it gives the, a bad taste to those who are outside of Christ looking in. What picture of marriage is the world seeing from Christians? Is it one that points to Christ in the church and shows the beauty of Jesus and the splendor of the bride? Or is it one that's leaving a bad taste, a misunderstanding of what marriage is according to our God who created it? Husbands, before we move to the attitude of love, I want to warn you or, or give you some exhortation. Beware of being passive and apathetic towards your wife and the health of your marriage. You see, we're called to be servant leaders. That means we are the ones leading out in this. We are the ones who need to be striving to have healthy marriages that the world sees, and it doesn't cause a misunderstanding, but it causes a looking to Jesus. Headship, servant leadership calls us to lead humbly, serving and sacrificing for our wives. And we see this modeled in the life of Christ. Jesus laid down his life for his bride. And we, there's a call on our lives to model him, to imitate him in our families. And the attitude we do this with, this is what, this is, this is the change, right? This is what makes submission within the scriptures and submission within the church a beautiful picture of the gospel because it's all done in love. It's an attitude of love. And really from 25 to 33, we see this. We see this through the model of Christ. Paul exhorts us, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. The Bible points husbands to the supreme example, the husband par excellence, as the one who is both the model and also the motivation for loving their wives. This is a high calling. This is one that you may be trembling at, that may cause you to go, this is impossible. But I think as we set our gaze upon Christ, and we look at Christ's love for the church, I think that will motivate us and give us the way of loving our wives well. As I was, as I was reading through this passage, I, I came upon a, a blog post by a, a pastor named Eric Raymond, and he, and he listed out ten ways husbands can love their wives. I dwindled that down because it wasn't all from Ephesians 5, so we're in Ephesians 5 today. So I have six ways that husbands are to love their wives according to this passage. First of all, as we've already seen in Christ the Savior, husbands are to have a sacrificial love for their wives. A sacrificial love. A willingness to die for our wives, not just physically, but each day to our own self-interests. That's what Jesus did. Jesus died for the church. And he is our model. He laid his life down for us. Husbands, I have a, a question. Do you get joy from sacrifice? Do you get joy from sacrifice? Seeing the needs of others met should give us great joy. And I believe as we continue to walk by the Spirit, we will be filled with joy in Christ as we put others before ourselves. 
And the best place to start is with your wife. Sacrificing, putting her interest above your own. This is really the call to all Christians as well. If we, if we were to go to Philippians 2, we would see that. Put others' interests before yourselves. And what he does there, Paul goes, Ephesians 2, 1-4, through 4, he's talking about this, really humility, living in unity, and then he points to Jesus. He says, look at Jesus, he's the one who has done this. He is our example. The second way we can love our wives, as we see in this passage, is a faithful love. Is a faithful love. Paul quotes from Genesis 2.24 in verse 31. And he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a faithful love that's called for in Genesis 2 in Ephesians 5. Husbands, hold fast to your wife. Hold fast to your wife. This is God's design in starting new families. That you're to hold fast, you're to leave and cleave to your wife. Y'all, y'all know this. We live in a divorce-ridden culture. It's, it's, what, it's what people do. I'm always caught off guard. I don't know why. I should just get it by now. I'm always caught off guard by um, an ad as you're going down 77 into Rock Hill. And the ad, I can't remember the exact words, it says, you only have one life, get a divorce. Right? Like that should break our hearts. That is not God's, God's will. And we understand that, that sin impacts marriages, even Christian marriages. We get this, right? We understand this. So this isn't the unpardonable sin of divorce, right? That's not what it is. There's forgiveness at the cross, right? But husbands, hold fast to your wives. We live in a culture that promotes cohabitation. Hey, get to know this person by living with them before you're actually married. That actually breaks down more and more marriages. The statistics don't lie. Marriage, as we argued last week, is a lifetime commitment of one flesh. Be faithful, husbands, to your call. Husbands, pursue purity. Flee sexual immorality. Single men here. Be faithful to your future wife by abiding in Jesus daily. Don't give in to the temptations of this world. We understand that that temptations of this world, deeds of the flesh, they leave us empty and broken. Marriage, sex, these things were created by a good God as good gifts to be followed according to the Scriptures. Husbands, be sacrificial, be faithful. And then third, we need to live in understanding love. And understanding love. 1 Peter 3, 7 instructs husbands on living with their wives in an understanding way. Here Paul gives us a picture of, of treating our wives as our own body. We understand our bodies. It's clear, right? It's clear that you must know your wife and understand her. If you understand your body, right, he says, he says treat your wives as your own bodies. Love your wives as you love your own bodies. You nourish and cherish your own body. Do the same to your wife. Be a lifetime learner. That's one of the, that's one of the things we tell premarital, in premarital counseling to couples. Be a learner of your wife. Ask questions and actually listen. Right? Be a lifetime learner. 
The fourth way husbands are to love their wives is a caring love. A caring love. Our love for our wives reflects our love for, for ourselves. We desire, right, men, we desire to be healthy physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We, we desire to live this way. Listen to these words from, from Tim Challies. He says, A husband cares for his wife by nourishing her heart, much like a gardener nourishes his plants. This requires him to pay attention to her, to talk with her in order to know what her hopes and fears are, what dreams she has for the future, where she feels vulnerable or ugly, and what makes her anxious or gives her joy. A husband cherishes his wife in the way he spends time with her and speaks about her so that she feels safe and loved in his presence. In my experience, a husband's caring love is one of the greatest needs in most marriages. A wife's heart is dried up by a husband who pays her little attention, takes no interest in her emotional life, and does not connect with her heart. Right? How are you caring for your wife? How are you nourishing and caring for her? A fifth way to love is a sanctifying love. A sanctifying love. Be concerned. We see this. Jesus sanctifies his bride. He washes and cleanses her. Be concerned about your wife's spiritual growth. Help your wife grow in godliness. We see this as, this as Jesus' is concerned for the church. He wants to see this happen. Husbands, are you taking the lead in pointing your family and especially your wife, to the Word of God and to the God who has given us this Word, right? Are you doing this? Does your life model one of growing in holiness? Again, this is not just for husbands, again. Like, this should be a challenge for all of us in here. Men and women, does your life model one of growing in holiness? There are many resources to help foster this in our lives and in our marriages. So many. One way of doing this, we know, right, we know where we're going because we preach expositional preaching. We preach through books of the Bible. One way of doing this is picking up a bookmark and each week looking at the passage that we're about to preach. Like studying that with people around you, in your families, with your wife or husband. A sanctifying love. We want to see our wives built up. And then lastly, as we have already talked about, is it's a leading love, right? A leading love. You are called to be the head, so you need to lead. Your wife may be more spiritually mature than you, but you should still strive to lead in that area. Lead through sacrifice just as Jesus did. Be be a sacrificial leader, right? Be a servant leader. Husbands, you may be feeling completely inadequate at this point. I know as I've studied this passage, I'm going, man, I fell in so many ways. Single men, you may be thinking, I can't do this. Why in the world would I ever get married if this is the call on our lives? And I would say, you are correct. <laughs> You're correct. This calling is impossible apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives. That's why Paul tells us in 5.18 to be Spirit-filled. 
That's why he continues to remind us of Jesus. Yes, we're going to fail, but in our failure, we're, we're becoming more like Jesus because we're, we're looking to him. We're going, I'm not sufficient. And he's going, that's right, but my grace is. So let's continue to strive to do this. Let's continue to strive to be faithful, loving, and caring, looking more like Jesus. Women, this is, this is the same for you. Look and strive to be more like Jesus daily. If you're not married, that's okay. Strive to be more like Jesus in your walk. We've been exhorted so many times to walk in a certain way. And this comes from knowing Jesus. If you're, if you're still going, man, there's doubt, there's, I can't do this. Maybe you need to turn to Jesus today. Maybe you need to, to recognize that Jesus is your Savior. That He's the one that, that gives you the ability to live out what Paul's calling us to do. He's the one who gives us His Spirit, who indwells us, seals us, and fills us daily. The Scriptures are very clear. Our sin separates us from God, but in God's kindness and love, He sent His Son. And we've seen the picture of His Son in Ephesians 5, 22-33, His great love for us. This is the analogy that Paul is pointing husbands to. This Jesus that loves us so much, that gave His life for us. Now, we're just to turn. If you are not a follower of Christ, we turn to Him in repentance. We confess our sin and believe in Him. And yes, these things make more sense. It doesn't mean they're any easier. Husbands, it's still a struggle. Wives, it's still a struggle. Everyday life as a Christian is still a struggle. But we have the motivation. We have the model. We have the ability to do it because our lives have been changed. Husbands, the call on us is to look more like Jesus. We're to model Jesus in our marriages, pointing our wives to Jesus, laying our lives down like Jesus, loving like Jesus. This is a, this is a, a strong call. It's one that is intimidating. But as we began last week, even as we began today, I want to conclude with encouraging us to dwell on the beauty of Jesus. <laughs> That's where it all begins. Let's dwell on the beauty of what our marriages point to, according to Paul. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. One pastor commenting on this illustration of Christ in the church, he says it gives us an ultimate picture of marriage. It gives us the ultimate purpose of marriage. And it provides amazing hope for marriage. You see, the marriages that are represented in King's Church should be pointing to something far greater. We see a glimpse of this in Revelation 19. The church, the bride of Christ... In Revelation 19, is presented at this wedding feast, is presented in all splendor and glory to the Lamb who was slain. 
This is what marriage is pointing to. In God's incredible providence, he has given us little glimpses, little glimpses of this final marriage throughout the centuries, through our momentary marriages, right? He gives us little glimpses through the marriages that make up King's Church, through the marriages throughout the centuries of this final marriage. So my prayer, my plead, my longing is that we, as a church, would set our eyes on Jesus today. That we would personally, right, personally, but even more corporately, live out the call on our lives to be imitators of God as beloved children. Oh, that we would seek to make Jesus known throughout all our lives, through all of our relationships. Let's pray. Our Father, we do give you praise for this day. We thank you for just revealing this to your church. Seeing the, the beauty of, yes, this gift of marriage as husbands and wives come together, but seeing what that points to, a far greater marriage between Christ and the church. One that will not be momentary, but will last for eternity. Oh, Father, may, may we, even this week, have opportunity to call people in to this wedding feast. God, help us to, to plead with people to turn to Jesus, even this week. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.